0: All right, by uh, popular demand, really, I've got a few emails and messages. But, um, so I'm going to tell you a couple of, literally just a couple of uh, little African stories. One quite short one from my dad's book and uh, another one of my own, also to do with Nigeria and and my dad. (laughs) So, um, as a quick intro, okay, first the, the book is called Life and Death in Africa. By Giuseppe Filotto, who's got the same name as I do. Um, I'm actually, I just realized, the third Giuseppe Filotto because my great grandfather from my father's side was Giuseppe, then my dad, and then me. So I'm the third version 3.0, best one yet. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read you a little short story which is very uh, typical of what happens in Africa very often especially back in the 70s in Nigeria but it's just a typical African story and uh, and the next one is a little bit more typical dad story <laughs> yeah so uh, yeah oh just as an intro so in 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 the villages in Nigeria like hippos used to kill people and destroy crops and so on and they were really quite dangerous animals. I don't know if you're aware, but the most dangerous animal in Africa is is hippos. Uh, as far as large game goes, uh, snakes also kill people quite a lot. But um, but hippos are generally the the most vicious of the of the animals. The you know the so-called dangerous charge from the elephant and the buffalos, which my dad has been subjected to as well, are not as uh, dangerous as as hippos. Hippos kill the most people. And especially back then, you know, um, villages didn't have guns and so on. My dad had managed to purchase a 375, which I think I read on the last uh, piece maybe. But he had a 375 war, which was the biggest rifle he could get. And he was often called out to villages by, um, you know, because he had a workforce of several hundred people and they would talk and they they knew he was this crazy white man with a gun who would like shoot anything and go hunting anywhere and wasn't scared of anything. So um, he would often take weekends to go and shoot hippos or long weekends or whatever and um, at one point him and my mom I think were away for like a week and they left my brother and I with um, a a maid essentially a a lady they hired to look after us and I was like four my brother was about either two or three you know so we were quite small, but I've always had a very excellent memory. My very first memory is from when I was two years old shooting a handgun that my dad put in my hands, 38 special. So, um, you know, my memory's always been really pretty good. Um, anyway, so that's just the background. So he, he'd gone out to various places to shoot hippos and so on. And some of those stories are awesome. So this, this one is certainly not the funniest or the most incredible of stories Um, it's just a little one because it's short um, and uh, it's only a page and a half so I'll read you that and then I'll tell you something else about my dad so we were not always successful in our animal control and I can't say today that I'm sorry since I turned out to be more pro-animals than pro-people however then 35 years ago I could not see in the future and the hungry people asking for help were my first concern. The unsuccessful expeditions were much more than the successful ones. They were, most of the time, uneventful, but I recall a particular one that was peculiar. We were told of a lonely hippo that lived in a big pool in a swampy area that was, again, making it difficult for the local fishermen to harvest fish in the same pool. The area was not accessible by car or by boat so we had to drive to a village where the railway was passing, take the train and get off at a very small village in the swampy area where a fisherman would then lead us to the pool. We had to kill the hippo and get back in time to catch the train, otherwise we would have to spend a week there since the train passed only once a week. We reached the village and one of the fishermen led us to the pool about an hour in walking distance. We spent the whole day looking for the hippo in the pool. The fisherman told us there was no day They would not see the hippo if they attempted fishing in that pool. That day we never saw it. I thought he had moved to a better location as all we got were some leeches. One was very persistent in sucking blood from Daniela's leg, that's my mom, and still today she has a scar on that spot. We were on a small canoe which we found on the shore of the pool. The fisherman was pushing the canoe along the reeds surrounding the small lake and even prodding the bottom of the reeds with the long canoe pole to see if you could get the hippo to show itself. Now, I can't begin to tell you how idiotic this is. This is like on par with another little story, which I have time I'll tell you. And my dad became aware of this, you know, eventually. A very dangerous exercise. For that reason, I soon told Daniela to get off the canoe and stand on the shore. But she could not see the action from dry land, so she went into the water just to knee depth and from there supervise the dangerous and stupid hunting practice. <laughs> As she was standing still in muddy water, the leeches got more onto her than me since I was only briefly in the pool while pushing the canoe. We were unsuccessful even though we tried till sundown. We rushed back to the village since it was late and arrived just in time to see the train ready to leave. We tried to get on but the conductor told us nobody was allowed on that particular train. We explained our situation and offered to pay whatever was necessary. Now, in Nigeria, generally, you could pay your way pretty much out of anything. The conductor said it was not a matter of money. It was the law. I could not understand which law. I could only see that the train was full of soldiers, no civilians. Then the conductor told us to wait, and he went to call the actual driver. A nice old man who told us to walk to the front of the train and got us up into the locomotive area, a very restricted space, and told us to sit on the big wooden box just behind him. With much relief, the train left with us on board. The old man already knew our reason for being in that area and told us he was breaking the law by helping us and that when we reached our destination, we should quietly jump off and never tell anyone we were on that particular train. I told him we would comply with his instructions and keep our mouths shut. He was pleased and explained to us that the train was carrying only soldiers and most importantly the soldiers wages in cash, a lot of cash and for that reason, nobody else could get on the train. Top security, a very serious amount of cash, and a train full of soldiers to escort it. My curiosity got the best of me, and I asked where on the train the cash was kept. Not that I wanted to rob the train, I wanted to know if they considered having it in a cage in the middle of the train, the best place, or whether it was in a strong box among the armed officers. The old man turned around and told us, You're sitting on it. I was speechless until we arrived at our destination. I offered him and the conductor some money for the trouble and risk they took in helping us. But they adamantly refused. Now keep in mind, this is Africa in the 70s. Nobody's got money there. They're all starving. They've all got family and friends that are, you know, need food. Nigeria was pure Africa back then. Uh, they both adamantly refused, telling me to forget it. You help the village people and we help you. And in any case, you were never on this train. My silence on the train after the news that I was actually sitting on the cache was due to the fact that I started thinking what if the officer in charge, or any officer for that matter, came into the driving section and found a strange white man sitting on the cash box with a rifle in his lap. Would he shoot me on the spot or would he think he was hallucinating? I kept looking at the small door behind me, waiting for somebody to come in and get the shocking surprise of his life. Fortunately for all of us, we did the whole trip without visitors. So that was it. Now, here's another little story I can tell you. Um, So because my dad used to be, you know, pretty crazy about going hunting and stuff. um, And I I would say, you know, in Italian, we've got a word which you can't really translate in English. It's um, incosciente, which it means unconscious, you know, if you translate it literally. But it doesn't mean unconscious as in knocked out, half asleep or, you know, uh, passed out. It means unconscious as in you're not thinking with your conscience, as in your conscience is absent from your thought process. And that's, you know, you would, I suppose in English, you would say naive or um, kind of innocent, but in a kind of stupid way. Could just imagine you're in your mid twenties, you're about 26, 27, um, your wife's about 23, 24. And you've got two little kids, four and two, or four and three, something like that. In a uh, country where... Uh, I'm going to have to tell you another little story, just to give you context. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but... So in Nigeria, we lived on this compound where it was just our house and the house of the, the guy that my dad worked for. And a couple of shacks of the... Fulani, the like warrior guys that like basically protected the sites. That was their only job to be security guards because they were reliable. Um, and they used to have security guards on each of the sites. And my dad was building these huge bar- army barracks. So, um, but you know the site was pretty far from our house. Anyway, what used to happen occasionally was that the you know rabies was a thing there, and occasionally a wild rabbit dog would come out of the bush and just charge the house. The one that stuck into my head the most, um, and it was a Sunday. I know it was a Sunday because my dad was home. You know, my brother and I used to play around that house the whole day, basically. We didn't have school. We didn't, you know, we were little kids just screwing around, catching frogs, going in the bush with the scorpion snakes, you know, it, how we survived. It's sort of... Anyway, one day, this it was a husky. It was like a white, pure driven snow, white husky came running out of the bush, straight at my brother and I. And it was fun enough, the compound was sort of these two houses with a clearing. And there was the house of some English people like that worked for another company about a few hundred meters from us. So but the, that whole area was cleared of vegetation. And then basically all around us was bush. And this dog just came straight running straight out of the bush at us. And my dad was home, luckily, and we weren't out playing in the yard. You know, not, in, not even the yard, in the, in the dirt, you know. And uh, he had this uh, double-barreled shotgun, which, you know, he took, and he waited until the dog was about three, four meters away, and he just blasted it with both barrels, and like, he opened the dog up, you know? I just remembered, like, this beautiful white dog coming at us, lathering, you know, from the mouth, and then he just got burst open. It was kind of like a little horror show, but, um, you know, that's Africa. But now, that was on a Sunday. What if that happened on a Tuesday when he was at work, you know? Just weird wouldn't think about that and then um you know anyway my, him and my mom went went away hunting for like a week and we were with this woman that they left us with which they didn't even really know that well because they basically just hired to look after us while they were away feed us and you know whatever now i can't remember what it was but it wasn't anything tragic it was like you know my brother was doing something but he was small he was like two three years old didn't even talk that much um he was probably about three because he could walk uh, and my brother sort of limped along and dragged his leg until he was about two and a half, three years old. So he was at least three and I was probably four and a half. I don't think I was five, but it might have been five. Anyway, he did something like little kids will do, some, something annoying or she told him not to do something and he did it again or whatever. And this woman went out to a tree, took a switch and just had a go at both him and me. And I was fucking furious because when, you know, when she hit him, I got in the way. I was like, hey, stop hitting my brother. And then she whacked me as well. And I was fucking livid. I was four years old, but, you know, I've still got that kind of Giuseppe brain that I've got. And um, I thought, fuck this bitch. I'm going to start tracking my dad down. And I was four years old. So, you know, I start trying to follow the tracks of the car because there's this red dirt in Nigeria that keeps your tracks pretty well. But now keep in mind, they've been gone a week, right? So as a little four-year-old, I'm thinking, I'm going to track this fucking car down until I get to where dad is, and then I'm going to tell him, dad, this is what this bitch did, you know? <laughs> I was like, and as I'm starting to track, and then like tracks sort of disappear, and I'm thinking, how am I going to get her? And I see the car. My dad and my mom in the Land Rover coming back. And I'm like, I ran to the car like, dad, 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 she hit us. She hit us, she hit Aldo, and she hit me. And, and my dad's like, okay, gets out of the car, Brings me and my brother to, to, to the house. Calls the woman in, and he talks to me in Italian. He goes, well, what happened? He are like, I, Aldo was doing, you know, throwing dirt or whatever he did. Nothing. It was nothing. It was, and, and she hit him. She hit him on the back. And then I tried to stop her dad, but I couldn't because I'm too small. And then she hit me as well because I was trying to stop her from hitting him. So he called her over and he goes, why did you hit my kids? And she goes, no, no, I, I never did. I, I lost it. I was like, Aldo, come here. And I grabbed him and I pulled up his shirt and said, look at that. And on his back, he still had the little indent of the switch, you know, like two or three lines where the the switch had, like, bitten into his skin sort of thing. But Dad just looked at that, and it was like, there was no space in time between him looking at that and the next movement, which was a full-handed open snap to the woman that, like, knocked her against the door. He just, like, get out. Don't ever show your face here again. (laughs) It's just... That was it. And I was like, ah, you know, that feeling of justice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my dad. You know, he was kind of crazy, but he definitely loved us, still does. You know, he, that man, is probably chopped somebody up half for fun and half because, you know, he loves his kids for any one of us. But, uh, yeah, so that, that was that. So there you go. Now I know some of you have asked me, "Oh, you should do the audio of the book." But first of all, I, I would have no clue of how to even begin doing that, and second, you know, I uh, I would probably laugh halfway through because some of these stories are just hilarious. So if you're interested, I'm sorry, you know, millennials. I know that you guys strain your finger and mouthing the words as you're trying to follow, but really, the book is the best option. And look, trust me, it's a good read. It's about it's about 400 pages, so it's a decent-sized book, but um, I read it in like two days. And I know all the stories in here. I was there for most of them, but it was just the way it's written. It's, it's, it's funny. It's easy. It's an easy read. You know, it's not complex at all. Uh, my dad's got actually a writing style, which I, I quite envy, you know, apart from his phonetic spelling in English. But once somebody corrects that, that's a very good read. So I suggest you just go and look for it on Amazon. I'll put the link uh, below. But, yeah, that's it. A couple of African stories. I mean, I could go on for days about Africa, but uh, yeah. I think some of those must be posthumous stories, really. Uh, yeah, we don't want anybody to go to jail. <laughs> All right, that's it for now.